Hey guys, welcome to another week of Funny Business, which is a segment of the From Poop to Gold podcast from Harmer Brothers, where we ask entrepreneurs how they stole something from other people and how they made it into their own thing for their business. This week I interviewed Trevor Blake, who started his own business when he was 41 years old. Uh, he talks about how you should be looking forward to public crises in order to make sure that your business is running as effectively as ever. And then honestly, how you can start a business with as lean of a structure as possible. We'll get right to it right after the music. All right, welcome to another week of Funny Business Guys. Today with me, I have Trevor Blake from trevorgblake.com. Trevor, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Good to meet you. Before we dive into what you do as a business and whatnot, I love seeing the transition that people made from childhood to today. So my question is, is where'd you grow up and what was your childhood like? So the short answer is I grew up in Liverpool, England, and my childhood was one as poverty. Okay. Uh, okay. There's a longer answer if you want the longer answer. Yeah, let's hear the longer answer. I, I grew up in a sort of concrete dust inner city world. My father was unemployed and unemployable my whole life. And um, we got evicted. We were living, a, living above a store. Uh, by a railway line and we got evicted from our apartment. And in those days, talking in the late 60s now, you could drive 40, 50 miles and escape the bailiffs. You could disappear completely off the, off the grid, if you like. And so that's what we did. We got into an old battered van and we escaped to the countryside. And I ended up spending the rest of my childhood living in a ramshackle farmhouse in, uh, in North Wales, which sounds, you know, to, if people listening to that, they'll say, that sounds like a tough childhood. It was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. <laughs> it was like it was like Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, I mean, I didn't have the concept of the stress and money and all that kind of thing that my parents were going through. And then Unfortunately, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer almost the day we arrived there and she was given six months to live. So my childhood was one of observing my father start and fail at about a dozen businesses and my mother fight against her prognosis of six months to live, which she didn't. She, she didn't die till I was 21. It was amazing. So when you combine those two things together, it gave me a fantastic foundation to rely on when it came to being in my business by myself because I'd learned what, from my father's mistakes, but I'd also learned from my mother, you know, what focus and indefatigable feels like and how you, how you never get, you know, if you feel pushed back, you push back, you know, to whatever source is pushing you. So, so I think I had probably the best childhood you can imagine to be an entrepreneur. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, I'm sorry to hear about your loss. That is always terrible. You know, she, she had such a big impact in people's lives because of the way she handled her cancer with such grace. She kept us alive by working part-time in a delicatessen and she had to walk five miles there and five miles back because we didn't have a vehicle and she had cancer in her bone. I mean, she was that strong of a spirit, that strong of a woman. That's so whenever incredible. I feel like things aren't working out, all I have to do is remember that. And then I sort of wake myself up and say, don't be crazy. It's nothing compared to what your mother went through. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So then how did you get started what you do today? And also uh, tell the audience a little bit about what you do today. Because I was, because we grew up poor, I never had vacations or anything, but I used to read all the stories of vacations in the back of newspapers and stuff like that. So I actually, once I grew up, I went to the life of travel. So I wasn't interested in money or business back then. So, so I actually, I had an amazing adventure, you know, traveling to 56 different countries and living and working in several of them, but at a, at a luxurious level, I wasn't backpacking through Europe or anything. I was doing it through business, you know, through my career. The funny thing happens when you get to to 40. So I went to bed on the last night of my 39th year feeling immortal. And then I woke up the next morning looking six months pregnant. And I was thinking, you know, what the hell happened overnight? And that's when you start to take your life, or take the, you know, your financial situation, what I did anyway, take it more seriously. So I started my first company when I was 41. Hmm. And I had such a blast doing it. I didn't have the money to hire people. So I found a different business model that worked, a hub model. So I hired vendors and contractors instead, so I could hire people for little pieces that I need and, and make the cash flow easier to manage that way. So I started that with a few hundred dollars and I sold that. 
um, six years later for 105 million. So that was a good first success. I got the bug then. I got addicted. So I'm now I'm currently on my my fourth company now. I'm negotiating the sale of my fourth. So I sold second and third companies for more than the first company, and uh, this one should be an even bigger one. But the company models themselves, they, I, I've used the hub model the whole time. I've never had another employee, and I structure the company in a way that allows me to focus on the growth of the company instead of holding the hands of disgruntled employees, if you like. And so it gives me a lot of freedom. And I, you, people can go to trevorgblake.com and download the practical magic of the five-hour workday because I never work more than five hours. I think it diminishes the, the quality and the performance level. And science shows that our brains can't focus for more than two hours at a time. So I have this part of my message at trevorgblake.com is to rethink what you've been taught through the corporate world if you've been in the corporate world. So you know, think outside the box when you become an entrepreneur. You can get burned out really quickly by yourself. You don't have all the distractions around you. So, so it's a structure your day into productive work periods, but also productive relaxation periods where the magic happens. So that's basically me. So I guess other people looking at me would say I'm a serial entrepreneur. Hey, being a serial entrepreneur is never a bad thing. It keeps life interesting. So if you've started four different companies, what kind of industries were you in for those four different companies? Well, my main career before starting my own company was in pharmaceuticals. So I kind of fell out of and with pharmaceuticals and decided there's a different way of doing the same thing they were doing. And so I started my first company focusing on developing drugs for very, very rare diseases for children. These were diseases where there's only 200 people in the world. The solutions to the diseases exist, but the motivation to get that solution out to the patients around the world and the cost of that is very hard to do in a big pharma. But I found a way to do it in small, in my, my own company, to, to do it and make it profitable. So I, so that was the first one. And the second one was cancer radio sensitizing drug development. I'm a sales and marketing guy, so I'm not qualified to do these things. But I, but if I have one skill, it's finding good people you know, who make me look good. My current two companies, trevorgblake.com, which is my coaching mentoring uh, programs and, uh, and business teaching programs and uh, Neovia Oncology. We're, develop- we're in clinical trials, human clinical trials here in the United States. We have a drug that I wish had been available when my mother was diagnosed with cancer because it looks to be as effective, if not more effective than drugs that are used for very aggressive cancers like the one my mom had, but it has none of the side effects. Mm. And that's a horrible thing with cancer drugs. Is that people can handle the cancer and they can handle taking the medicines, but then the side effects just still there sort of dignity and, and uh, in my mother's case, a womanhood. So we have, we have you know, that's always been in the back of my head, like when I grow up, I still haven't grown up yet, but when I grow up, that's what I'd like to do. You know, find a, a no side effect treatment for cancer. So that's what we're working on. That's incredible. Okay. So in your opinion, how has business suffered in the last year? Just business in general? Well, I'd say, I'd say, I think the opposite happens because I think what's happened in the last, the, the COVID situation, which you're probably referring to, I think has accelerated a change that was already good, already in process. I mean, before COVID, you looked at your high street or your local mall and all of those iconic companies that we thought would be here for the rest of our lives are gone. The circuit cities and the border books and the blockbusters, and they're gone for one simple reason: they they fail to adapt quickly enough to changing technology. I mean, it's, it's you, you don't have to be a you know a genius to figure out why they're not here anymore. And so, you know, I, I think you know this tsunami of people moving away from the corporate world, away from the sort of corporate setup, and into the home office setup has changed a lot of minds. Think to think, you know, there's there's an alternative way of achieving the same same thing, but without burning me out, without me having to spend 75% of my days sitting in stupid meetings. And I can, be, I can work from home, I can be more productive, I can be more efficient. And so I, I think it's a positive thing. Although we have to, sometimes you have to go through adversity to, to see the opportunity, you know. So for me, seeing change in business is accelerating, but I, I see it from two perspectives. One, from a structural standpoint, the old hierarchical structure just is too slow as a dinosaur now. So a lot of lean structures and even like myself, a band, you know, merry band of one, if you like. I see a lot more of that happening. But also, I'm a physicist, so I view life as, as a playing with energy. And so I see the energy of business changing dramatically. You know, the old sort of what we used to call masculine energy, the linear energy sort of 
analysis and analysis and analysis, call a meeting, hire someone to, you know, delegate to somebody. Those, those days have gone. And if people haven't got that message yet, they, you know, they're going to get a rude awakening. We're in a, a really fast moving energy period right now, sort of a feminine energy. It's spinning. So you have to change your business structure to, to match the energy of the time. But I've also had to change my management style completely away from a sort of supervisory mentality to more of a peer to peer trust level mentality. And, you know, I've, and I've had to change my decision-making programs from, you know, so now less analysis than I used to, I used to use and trust my intuition more than I ever did in the past. I think that's why we're seeing most female-led businesses are doing far better than male-led businesses right now. You know, I always look for, because I'm a scientist, I always look for, okay, what are the reasons? And I think one of the reasons is you need to have a real trust in your intuition now because you don't have time to make long-winded decisions. You've got to make a, a decision now and stick with it. Lots of change, and I'm very excited by it. I love change. So. Curious, can you rattle off like the top three businesses in your head that are led by women that you appreciate? I'm working with one right now called Motion Hall, they, and what they've done, I mean, I'll just use this one example. So you know, business development in pharmaceuticals and biotechs is, is still in the dark ages. It's like, you know, it's like a, a guy of my age with a Rolodex and a, and a network of contacts, you know? And what this company has done, they've come out of Silicon Valley and they've seen that opportunity and they've, they've introduced artificial intelligence into the matchmaking process between companies like myself that want to want to be acquired and companies around the world that are working on a, something that's not the same, but similar enough that we're going to be able to have conversations. And that's led by a wonderful person called Rachel Craig and just like a breath of fresh air, you know, but what I've noticed is whereas when I'm, when I'm dealing primarily with male led companies, there's a lot of ego battle battling going on and it takes us forever just to decide to have a meeting or when can we agree to a date on a meeting and stuff. In this situation, you know, Rachel has this culture in the company that I find it a very attractive a way of doing business whereby you get 20 minutes with it and you don't get 21 minutes or 19 minutes, you get 20 minutes and the decisions are already made. And if you're not on board with decisions, I'm sorry, you're not in this fire and energy, you're going to get left behind. And it's yeah. not impersonal or, or anything like that. I like the efficiency of it. I, I love things like that. But I've always been, because I was lucky enough to be inspired by my mother. My mother introduced me to my wife who I was married to for 40 years before she died. She was my mother's chemotherapy nurse. She also had this amazing strength in, in her intuition. So I've always been fascinated by, by that. That led me as a kid to read you know, biographies primarily about women who'd been successful, like Madam C.J. Walker, you know, these amazing people who overcome so much adversity in their life to, to, to achieve a brilliant success. I mean, in a male-dominated world, when a female manages to do that against all the odds, I just think it's, just, it's totally inspiring. So I, I, I follow all of, the, all of these uh, amazing people. Is there a way to crisis-proof your business uh, so if like something unprecedented happens again, uh, a business owner can just be ready. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you know, a lot of people find change scary, but I, I find it a constant. Okay. So everything's changing all the time and I like it because when things change, you have, you have a choice. You can hide behind the sofa and wait until it's over, or you can stand up eyes wide open and look for the opportunities that change brings. And that's the difference between, I think, a really successful entrepreneur and someone who wanted to be a successful entrepreneur, that they're hiding behind the sofa, waiting for it all to be over. The very best time to start a company for me is in a crisis, especially in a recession. And one of the reasons, one of many reasons for that, um, but one of the key reasons for that is that, you know, when I go to try, I, I think it's more important to get the best vendors and the best price. So it'd be a business. So when I, when I find the best vendor, typically they're full, they're busy. And they look at me and I say, look, I want you to do this little piece of the business for me. And they'll say, your revenue is not important to us, you know, so we don't have time. And then a recession comes along and that very same person 
opens the door, you know, rolls out the red carpet to me, sits me down, makes me a coffee, you know, and says, look, I'm sorry, I was a bit rude before, but you know, maybe we can help you build your little company. And and I, my response to that is, well, yeah. And then if you do that, I'm your poster child. And you can go out to other companies like me and show what show how you made me big and all that stuff. So I find in a recession, the ready accessibility of labor and supplies, the ability to do much better terms. So so when, I, when everything's going honky-dory, mm. I can't turn around to a vendor and say, look, I don't want to pay for 90 days. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to pay every 30 days. I want 90 day, no payment type terms. And they would just laugh at me. But in a recession, I can get any terms I want. I can get six months free and stuff like that. So I, I always say if the recession's coming, you should get really excited. If you're on the fence and you're thinking, I'm ready to start my own thing. Um, and if there's a recession on the horizon, I'm probably the only one that likes seeing those headlines. I think oh, this is going to be great. And uh, and that's, so that's when you're ready. So, so uh, I think crises are the best time uh, to be an entrepreneur. Okay, what business practices have you learned from others that you've used in your own work? This is kind of like the the, the crux of, of funding business. I love the idea that good artists create on their own or they borrow, but great artists steal. So what did you steal from somebody else and how did you put your own twist on it? Everything I've done in my life is a relocation of someone else's um, experience or expertise. Started when I was very young because I, I, when I was growing up, we talked earlier about childhood. I, I suffered from sectarian bullying because I was an Englishman in Wales at the time. The Welsh helped hate to be English and wanted. They had banners everywhere and graffiti, English out. And so I was always being targeted by these these as as happens when you're a kid. And so I used to hide from them in the public library. And so while I was in the public library, I just started reading to kill the time. And I started reading biographies and I became addicted to biographies. And that's where my first book, Three Simple Steps, comes from, because I saw these three sort of behaviors, you know, and, and, and uh, attitudes. And so I just kind of adopted that to my life. So I started off by stealing other people's expertise. You know, Henry Ford and C.J. Walker, I mentioned before, you know, these are people that had introduced me to meditation and to uh, immersing in nature and things like that, that are a very important part of peak brain power. And uh, so I always stole that. But when I finally started my, my first company, the thing that triggered that was that I, I was lucky enough to be in the presence of a man called George Rothman, who was like the Bill Gates of the biotech world. He was, he was in his 70s then, and he wasn't a well man, and, but he was, he was a chairman on the board of a company that I was working with. And it, there was a company that just had meetings after meetings after meetings that, that spent $60 million in nine years and achieved nothing. And he was frustrated, and he would speak up. But he was in the back of the room. He didn't sit around the table. He would speak up. And everyone ignored him because this is the old man. You know, He's a dinosaur from another age. He doesn't understand. Everything he said, I thought, was profound and should be listened to. And then one day, I was waxing lyrically to him about this business plan I had. And he put his hand up and he said, Trevor, you don't know what business you're in till you get in the business. Just start. And I didn't really understand what he meant until I started my first company. And I thought I was going off in this one direction with the pediatric treatments. And then when I was in the business two or three weeks, an opportunity came my way that I would never have known existed and never seen if I hadn't started my first company, if I hadn't got into the business. And that was a massive opportunity that took me in a completely different direction. And mm-hmm. that's, that's my advice to everybody is, is that you can't figure it out. It's too much fun and it's too rocky. It's too bumpy. So you just start and figure it out from there. And I, I've learned all my life, you know, I used to be really intimidated in a regular career in the presence of, of senior executives. I thought they had some kind of secret that I didn't have. They've gone to a secret magic school or something, you know? And I really never knew what to say to these people because they seemed like eight foot tall to me and everything. And then I got on the fast track career in a regular career. And I, was, I started off as a trainee sales rep. 10 years later, I was vice president of commercial development. That's quite a fast track by anyone's standards and in a big company too. And, um, and I realized that once I got up to that higher echelon, so that everyone's making it up as they go along. There is no plan. There is no secret school. Everyone's making it up. And that gave me confidence, you know, when I started my first company that you just do that, you jump and you figure it out. I like that advice a lot. 
there's a lot to be said. There's a phrase that I've learned in, in a spiritual sense. Whether you're con connecting with a universe or God or whatever it may be, the universe can't steer a boat that is currently docked. You need to be moving. Once you're out there on the ocean, then you can go wherever it is that you need to go. I think that kind of goes in line with what you're talking about. You just need to start. You, you start and you find out that we're much smarter than we think we are. It's people, yeah. you know, and, and nothing will be put in your path that you won't be able to handle. As long as you, as long as you work on your intuition, I'm, I'm, it sounds like we're on the same path like that. I mean, I work very hard. I, I immerse in nature. I meditate. I work very hard to improve my connection to my intuition so I can trust it more than I used to when I, when I was younger. One day, I hope, before I die, to get to maybe 10% of an average woman's intuition. <laughs> and if I could bottle that, I would be the richest man in the, in the universe. <laughs> All right. So uh, what's the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome to date in your field? In life, it's definitely the, the death of my wife last, last December. So that's, that's been the hardest challenge. And um, my, my books and my courses, I don't uh, get anything from those. All my, all my proceeds go to cancer research and development. But without the tools and techniques that are in those, it would have been much harder to deal with that, that situation. In business, my biggest challenge, I think, is the, the frequency of rejection. Because, because when, I start out, when I start a company, I already have in mind the exit. I already, I already know at what point. Because I, I, I'm, I'm good at building, but then when it gets big and you need someone who's got more of a maintenance mentality, I'm, I'm, I'm rubbish at that. So I, I, that's when I sell the company and put it, you know, I like graduate my child and it goes somewhere else. That process is one of constant rejection. And, mm. uh, you know, like it was when I was a writer as, as, a, as a younger man. Learning that every time you get knocked back, you don't let it affect you. And you constantly keep the little mini mind movie that you've created of what life will be like when this exit occurs. So, you know, how joyous that will be and how am I going to celebrate and all that sort of thing. That's, that's how I, I've learned to handle the rejection all the time. But it's very hard to take, I think. The biggest challenge is, especially in the exit stage, talking to people who have far less experience than you do, who are poking pins at your idea and, and telling you your baby's ugly. Staying calm through that whole process and uh -huh. move on to the next one and move on to the next one. That's a real challenge. Especially yeah. for someone like, someone like me, it's a real challenge. I, I can feel that there. There's many times that we'll get together with a client and they'll go, well, what about this? What about that? It's like, eh, we've done this a hundred times. It's going to be okay. This is, these are the reasons why. It's the same conversation pretty much every time because they only have two or three fears and you just got to settle it yeah. down. But, you know, I get you. I get you. Okay. So how do you help startup business owners achieve efficiency and run independently? How you start is critical. Okay. So, so most people start their, their first company because they've been trained in the corporate world or, or they've been, been out of business, for, out of the working world for a while. And it's, and it's changed so much and even in the last 10 years. And, and so they started much like they, 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 like buying a new house. So, so when you buy a new house, you don't hire a full-time handyman and let him or her live in the spare bedroom just in case something goes wrong. But most, com most entrepreneurs start a company that way. They immediately start hiring. It's, they've got this great idea. They've got an investor. They, they get started. And they immediately go and open an office, you know, waste money on an office. And who needs an office these days? And so, so they waste money there. And then they hire, a, you know, because you know, then they, they've come probably from either finance or sales or markets, and they, they're an expert in one thing. And they get nervous typically. I'm just generalizing, but they get nervous and they think, well, I don't understand regulatory, so I'll hire someone for regulatory. I don't understand distribution, I'll hire someone for don't understand manufacturing, I'll hire someone for manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And what, what I've learned is that you don't need to hire any of those things at the beginning. And certainly not until you get to a certain size because the economies of scale just aren't there at the beginning. And what you do is you, you, you end up burning that beautiful cash, which is your, your life raft. You know, you talk about a, a ship being, being in harbor and should, it needs to be out at sea in order to be steered. The life raft is always in business is cash, cash flow uh, management, which is really hard today, cash flow management. It's much harder than it ever used to be. 
because of the internet. You know, I can go online and order 10 shirts, you know, five, five different sizes, two different colors, and then send them all back. Someone's had to make those shirts. Someone's had to ship those shirts. Someone's had to process the return. So cash flow, they don't know what my decision is going to be. And so cash flow management is, is really tough. I think in today's environment. So what I do with helping people is if you structure right at the beginning, if you get it right at the beginning. So first of all, the secrets to a successful startup, the book and the course, how to create a winning idea is, is the first part. There's, a, there's a, a magic to it. And so once we've got that out of the way, then how do you react forward once you've created the idea? So how do you incorporate an idea before you've even started the company? And then how do you do the business planning process when you really don't know what the business is going to look like? Mm-hmm. And, and so I handle those three critical elements right at the beginning very differently, I think, to the way anybody else handles them. And your opportunity to survive and then thrive is greatly enhanced because when you look at the statistics, 82% of failures are all for the same mistake and it's cash flow mismanagement. If you can start right and understand cash flow as opposed to cash or profit or revenue, it makes a huge difference, I think. I think it just gives you that foundation and breathing space. So then what would be your advice on going into debt in order to take a big leap and then hopefully get the payoff in the end? Well, I mean, you have to go case by case. So so when it comes to personal debt, I advise all people to get debt free because you don't want, you know, you, that stress and that, I know what it feels like. I've, I've been up to my eyeballs and credit card debt and it's like an albatross around your neck. And then I also know what it's like when you're free of that. And completely free of that is very important. When we talk about business, you know, I look at money as just another form of energy, right? So the whole of the universe is made of energy. We know that that's an irrefutable fact. And energy has to follow its own laws, which one of which is it can't be created or destroyed, only converted into another form. So when you view money with a better sort of mature relationship between you and money, then it becomes a tool of the business. And all you're doing is converting money into the mechanism to grow which you then convert into the mechanism to produce something, a service or a product that is then converted into providing something to somebody who then converts that back into cash that comes your way, okay? So it's all just energy moving in different directions. And my opinion, you know, you're just converting money energy into something else. So when you view debt like that, so long as you're not, I don't, I don't think it's smart to finance your company with personal debt. But if you can find access to debt that isn't yours, that it's an investor who's putting money in or it's a, a group or something like that. If the stress level isn't there, there are some subtle ways to do it the way it's your benefit. I like hybrid deals. So I like to bring investors, not for the money, but for what the investors bring. The investors mm. bring experience, networks, access, new ideas that they bring so much more than just the money. But when they bring the money in, they expect to own most of your business. And that's really hard as an entrepreneur to say, I have to give you what? 80% of my business for that amount of money? Uh, so I like a hybrid deal whereby the, I can say to them, look, you now own 70% of my business and I now only have 30%. But when I give you, your, when I've paid off the money you've put in, it converts the other way. I now own 70 and you own 30. So it's a risk mitigation. So at the end of 30% of a profitable business and they've got the money back, they're, they're happy campers. As an entrepreneur, if I can hold on to 70% of a business by the time it exits, that's that's pretty unheard of. That's actually kind of an unheard of strategy for me. I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show and one of my best friends is a finance major and works for Fidelity. That's kind of a, a strategy that uh, I, have, I have not heard of yet, but I like that because it mitigates the risk for both you and it mitigates their risk. I can't see a reason why somebody wouldn't say yes to that. I think it's particularly attractive to angel investors. Typically how you start the company, seed capital and angel in investment is typically where you go first. You don't want to go straight unless you know you've got a multi-billion dollar idea right this second. You don't want to go with venture capital right at the start because they will own you outright. You know, even the guys who are in charge of Google, they only have 16% between them. I mean, that 60% is worth probably 50 billion, but it's still oh. only 16%. You know? So yeah, I think for the seed, seed money and the angel investor, it's a really nice strategy. Both sides can see the benefit of it. 
So what do you like the best about what you do? I love building. I'm already in my head. I've already got my next company in, in, in mind. I like magic. Okay, I like the process of magic. I consider how we interact with energy to be a magical process. In, in TrevorGBlake.com, I have a guild and I call it, which is a membership program. I call it the guild because that's a group name for a gathering of wizards, right? So what we're doing is we're creating something from nothing. Like we have a black canvas. We, we do amazing painting and everybody goes, wow, that's fantastic. Well, I do the same with the business. All I've got is an idea. And I have to now convert this idea into something impactful in people's lives. So I think that's just a magical process. So I always get very excited. And, you know, when it goes well, I mean, I'm six for six, if you don't mind me bragging about that. But I mentioned oh, absolutely. If, if I was to say, yeah, I've had six successful companies out of 20 attempts, then I wouldn't have the same credibility or, or, or you know, I haven't used six out of six. And so I've used the same program, the same sort of process of magic to create something from nothing. And it becomes it's addictive. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. So who's the ideal client for you? Where should they go? to get in contact with you and what first steps should they do to get in contact with you? You can go down my rabbit hole uh, at uh, trevorgblake.com. Everything is there. There's, there's two aspects to what I'm trying to offer to help people reinvent. I, I, I think history will look back on this period of time as the best time in history to reinvent yourself and achieve rapid financial independence. The opportunities are just immense. And you can, and I mean rapid, you know, it used to be start small, go regional, go national. You know, now it's, you can engage the globe with one mouse click immediately. It's an incredible opportunity for people. And I think a lot of people will, will be disappointed they let it pass by. But in order to take advantage of it, you have to do two things. One is you have to work on yourself. So you, you have to transform to match the energy of the time. So one of my courses is, is, is transformation. It's not really a course, it's an experience. So I always recommend people go to trevorgblake.com, check all the testimonials because they're all spontaneously uh, produced. If you feel stuck in quicksand in your life right now, that's where you would go first. Get out of quicksand, get yourself unstuck. And then you free your energy to start having those amazing aha moments and winning ideas. And then when you have that and you want to go on your own, either in, in commerce or even in, in music or arts or whatever, you want your own venture, then Secrets to a Successful Startup is, is really a, like stepping stones across a pond. Just follow this program. You can't go wrong. But you can start at trevorgblake.com and you can download the free practical magic of the five-hour workday. There's no strings attached to that. And that alone will change your life and how you think about that. Well, for those of you at home, please like and share this and subscribe to the channel. And we'll see you guys next week. And Trevor, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been fantastic. My pleasure, Kent. I appreciate the questions. Want to learn the tricks of our trade? We have them all laid out in our courses on Harmon Brothers University. This isn't surface level stuff here. This is our entire playbook, all our secrets laid out in full. The same training we give our own employees. You'll find courses on ad buying, writing video scripts to sell your product or service, creating the kind of large production ads we're known for, even making short ads using nothing but your cell phone. If you're looking to use video marketing to take your business to the next level, Harmon Brothers University has the course for you. Our students have seen incredible growth in their businesses by implementing what they learned in our courses. Take these reviews as living proof. We've now got multiple campaigns that are in the millions of views and in the multiple millions of dollars in sales. Within a week, we're close to 10 million views, over a million in sales, and most impressively, we've covered 100% of the production costs in the first 24 hours of releasing it. We saw immediate results. Sales went up 10x the first day. The first video we did is over 30 million views. The most customers that we've ever acquired in a single month. I think we had about 26,000 new customers. Go to HarmanBrothersUniversity.com to start accelerating your business's growth with video.